Welcome to the Acronym Podcast, the only B2B marketing podcast where we don't care about CPLs, MQLs, and SQLs. And instead, I'm going to be sitting down with the industry's top thought leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs to uncover how they were able to build the confidence to make the leap into entrepreneurship and ultimately break free of those golden handcuffs. I'm your host, Chris Roach. In this episode, I'm joined by Chris Bogue to talk about all things video prospecting and video production. He launched his own video marketing agency just under two years ago and has scaled it significantly by leveraging purely content creation in a comedic twist. I'll see you in the episode. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining me. Glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to get into this with you. Obviously, you have a very unique business that you've managed to craft in the agency space. If you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of background as to what Chris Bow Communications is and the type of services that you offer. Yeah, so I coach people to make mercifully short video content for business. What do you mean mercifully short? Mercifully short, so two things. So there's two types of video that I really train on. One is video content and the other is video prospecting. For sales. I started by doing video prospecting because I was doing a type of sale where I was selling to universities. I was selling education technology. The three best ways to reach people were call their office, visit them on campus, or visit an educational conference. Three of those got taken off the table. And I still had a quota to hit. I started getting on camera and I quickly realized I was better at it than everybody else on the team. And it's for a couple reasons. One, I've done some television work. I've done some web series. It's different being on an HD camera than it is being on stage. Yeah. And a lot of sales trainers, a lot of leaders, they're used to speaking in these large rooms where they are to get to the back of the room. And, and on-camera work is something that's much more intimate. Quickly realized this was something I'm good at. Quickly realized it was a game changer for sales. And this is a really new approach to sales. It's not like cold calling and cold emailing, which have been around for a long time. It's not like running a sales presentation, which has been around for centuries or longer. Nobody teaches this in business school. They don't teach you how to get on camera and make a little 30-second video to secure a meeting with a prospect. And they certainly don't teach you to make TikTok content or YouTube content or whatever. So I was like, screw it. I'm going all in. I'm going like, I'm going to, this is my lane. I'm going to teach this before somebody else does. I'm going to develop the course. I'm going to develop the process. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do all this stuff because if I wait, somebody else is going to do else is going to get out here. They're going to see this opening. And it was the first time in my life where it was like, I saw my opening. I saw a lane for myself and I had just gone through a really difficult time. I went through a divorce I was unhappy at my job and I had some money because my wife and I, we were about to buy a house and have a child and I had been saving for that. And I was in this situation where I was all alone. I did not want to fall into a deep, dark depression. I had nothing but time on my hands and I had some runway. I said, screw it. I'm the video guy now. Instead of going to work, I'm going to be networking with people all day. I'm going to be getting into groups. I'm going to be going on LinkedIn and I'm just going to go for it. And I started getting work and then I started making content to promote my, and I looked out at the world of LinkedIn content. I was like, oh great, this is really bad. <laughs> this is so bad. It wouldn't be hard to do better than this. I've got some friends who are content creators who like blew up. They have a million dollar content brand now, but they started at Buzzfeed back when Buzzfeed was like the engine for going viral. And uh, they're very successful on YouTube and TikTok. And I was lucky to be mentored by them because they have much better advice about how to make compelling video content than LinkedIn does. And I started falling in love with editing. Pretty soon I started getting more requests for the content marketing coaching and the sales co Marketers realize that video is important and they need to get better at it. Whereas 
salespeople think the future is going to be people sitting around accepting cold calls, so they still don't think they need to learn how to be good on video. But yeah, it has taken me through all sorts of transformations, and it also got me back into comedy. So I was a comedian. Okay. I, I used to do sketch comedy and improv. In, I learned at Chicago's Second City, famous comedy theater where half of SNL came from. I did a lot of improv, too. Did stand-up. Did a lot of experimental theater. And I'm from a background where everybody has that skill. Everybody mm-hmm. and their grandmother in Chicago went to Second City and wrote sketch comedy. But it's pretty unique outside of Chicago. So I was like, mm-hmm. what if I brought that sentiment? What if I brought that feeling that you're in this small room and it's this live moment. And yeah, I am really just recreating that kind of experience. And I believe that the future of content marketing is not trying to make get a million engagements on every post. It's small audiences with high engagement and high knowledge. That's the sweet spot. And that's really what I try to tap into. Who are your people? What do you need them to understand? And by the end of the video, how can we take them from this point to this other point? And I don't think there's a marketer out there that's going to disagree that video is an important part of kind of their toolkit that they're looking to implement. And obviously, a lot of people listening to this are either current digital marketers or looking at starting their own agency. In terms of more practical advice, let's talk about selling in the education, leveraging video. You said you you were going to there in person. You were trying to figure out ways you were cold calling, doing basically the classic sales playbook. It's not that it doesn't work. It does work. It's very effective to do that. It's just, are there more effective ways to do that? I don't think anyone that can sit there and say cold calling doesn't work. I've been successful with cold calling. I've been successful with meeting people in person and being able to do that. The question, is there a more effective way? Yeah, I'd say, does it work? Yes. Is it inefficient? Yes. Yeah. I take real issue with these B2B companies that say they don't have time to do video. Video can't scale. And I'm like, cold calling doesn't scale. You're paying dozens of people to sit around and you're spending hours and hours and hours calling no one. If you're really good at cold calling, what? Maybe you have one good conversation per hour? It's just, it's not efficient. It's what you're already doing. It's what you already know how to do. And this is where the fun of being a comedian comes in because I I can really lampoon a lot of these assumptions and have some fun with them. But I'll be blunt with sales leaders. Like when they tell me they tried video or they tried content marketing, it didn't work. I asked them, was it any good? On a scale of one to 10, how good would you say it was? And to anyone who's, oh, I'm the cold calling master. It works so well. I say, okay, did you learn that in two weeks? Were you the cold calling master immediately yeah, when you started yeah. trying it? Or did that take you a couple sales roles? Did that take you a couple years to really master it? Because usually it, it takes some time. So why do you think you're going to master video in two weeks? Mm-hmm. You think you're just going to jump on camera and instantly you're going to be a video star. There's so many more elements here. It's not like a cold email where it's just your words. It is your performance on stage. It is how you are framed. It is the script. It is the lighting. It is the captions. It is the thumbnail. There's all these different moving parts that make it more complicated. So I'm like, of course you didn't learn it immediately. (laughs) You know, what's with you? You're a a coach. You're elite. You know that it takes time to learn this stuff. And you just gave up because you made five videos and they didn't get any engagement. Come back after you made a hundred and tell me how it works. You're going to get better. 
but they don't think they have time for that. There's this state of panic that you're always in in a sales organization. It doesn't matter even if you're past your quota because they'll look at the leaderboard for today and they're like, we're two hours in and our numbers are not where we're supposed to be. Start doing something. Mm -hmm. Like It takes a bigger scope. It takes more planning. It takes more execution to pull up video content. And yeah, that's my challenge to B2B leaders. I say, of course your prospects are video people. Don't tell me they don't watch videos just because they're in finance or they're a CEO or whatever. We all watch videos. We all got one screen. We're all competing for that same screen. Maybe you just don't know how to make videos yet. So what type of videos would you suggest to like a, a B2B organization that's looking at leveraging this in terms of prospecting? What type of videos would you recommend that would be successful that don't take a hundred attempts to be able to obviously get good at? Because if I'm a B2B sales leader, I'm thinking we've got cold calling down. We know how to do that. We're interested in this, but like you say, we've tested it. We've not got the greatest one, but the advice there is do it a hundred times and you'll start to see that is do you hit the hockey stick curve of building a large enough audience where that kind of compounds to a point where you can justify it or because creating 100 videos that's no small feat to be able to do i would say there's two different things that we're talking about and sales leaders bleed them together to their disservice so you've got one-to-one videos and you've got one-to-many right yeah. so what b2b tries to do is they try to create a one-to-many video and pretend like it's one-to-one try to use these little tricks maybe you're only recording the beginning and then you drop it into a pre-made video or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah or you word it in a way that's generic like it's trying to act like it was made just for you but it's clearly not that's what they send out right now and i tell them that is not a sales email that's content marketing you want to go one to many you will get a better response putting that on social media, putting that on LinkedIn, putting that on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. That's your general message. One-to-one -one communication is very different. And again, this yeah. is where it, I went my own way because the way B2B teaches this drives me crazy. I get clients and they're like, I got to go buy a green screen. I got to go there. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you yeah, don't need yeah. a screen share. At all these companies, they work so hard being like, we got to make it so the entire screen is your PowerPoint presentation and the person's in a little tiny dot down here in the corner so you can send product demos to people who didn't request a product demo. <laughs> That's not what I do. I tell people, one, it's you talking to the camera. That's it. You talk straight to them and try to make it 30 seconds long. Okay. And I will say, I receive a lot of videos from people that are prospecting and there's nothing worse than, hey, I recorded this video for you and then you click on it and it's generic. Because after five seconds, I've already exited out of it. I'm like, this is a waste. If you recorded a personal video for me, I'm going to watch it. I, you know, you've taken the time to do that. So I'm going to take the time to watch it. And if it's not a good fit, I'm just going to respond to, hey, we're not really interested in this or honestly, the timing's not right. But if you send me a one-to-one -one video and it's not a one-to-one, -one. that just pisses me off. Then I'm like, right, now we're wasting both of our time with this and you haven't taken the time to really try and earn my business that way. So I'm not going to waste time watching this video. Yeah, and the infuriating part about it is, uh, I get very curious about this, right? I do a lot of pulling, a lot of surveying, interviewing, not only my clients and prospects, but just other people. And I did an experiment mm -hmm. at the end of last year where I DM'd just a few hundred sales reps. I said, hey, can I ask you two questions about video? They said, sure. So I go, number one, does your sales team use video? They say yes. So two, how many videos does the average rep create and send in a given month? The vast majority of respondents said they don't even send out 10 a month. Mm. The, the people who are doing it, maybe they're making three to five videos a week, but usually they're just making one generic one, popping it into their thing and sending it out. And my thing is, in my coaching, I say you should be able to do five in a sitting. And it should take you longer to compile the list 
than to actually record the footage. But if you're yeah. sitting down in front of the camera and you've got a list and they've all got the same job title or they're all experiencing the same problem or they're all the same size company or whatever, that message is going to be pretty similar. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I always tell them, and this is the big giveaway, and I cannot emphasize how bad B2B coaching on this is. People will send me their videos, and they're like, here's my screen share, here's my product, it can do this, here's a picture of your website, look how bad it is, I can help you do blah, 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 blah. I write down on my desk, I put on a post-it note, you. Mm-hmm. I tell them, it is a 30-second video about them. And I start, I'm almost always talking, I talk about their goals, their values, or an elephant in the room problem. And I start with their name. I say, Chris, I'm reaching out to you. I noticed blah, blah, blah. I know you value this. I see that here's a goal of yours. And I see a lot of alignment between you and I. Yeah. And I would like to chat with you about my coaching because I think I can help you do blah, blah, blah. Or if I'm reaching out to a sales leader, I tell them like, hey, I know you guys use Vidyard or BombBomb or Loom or whatever. I, again, start with the goals and values and everything, but I go, this is what I coach. So if you're seeing some success, if you want more videos, then we should chat. Respond to this video with anything if you want to chat. And if you don't want to chat, that's fine too. Just let me know. I will cross you off the list. I'll note that this isn't for you, but no matter what, thanks for watching the video. Yeah. And people either watch 0% of my video or 100%. And the old cliche with video sellers is they complain because people watch 10% and then shut it off. And I go, okay, what happened at the 10% mark? Turn them off. Why don't you get curious about that? And yeah, it was, it's very effective for, I can send out five videos and probably get two or three meetings out of that. So for me, that's way more efficient because I could do that in an hour and I don't have to sit there banging my head against the wall because people are yelling at me all day. But then I discovered that content is even more efficient. (laughs) I can take the objections that my ex have and I can create content about that. And that allows me to sell in my sleep. And more importantly, that allows me to address my prospects' objections without them having to defend themselves. Because that's what happens when you handle an objection. You're trying to outwit the person. You're trying to tell them this thing you think is important isn't important. You really need to set that aside and just pay me. And even if you're right, there is a human need to defend your ego. And I find with the content, it's a way to get in front of X and challenge their thinking. And maybe they don't agree with me, but they don't have to sit there and explain why. Yeah. They can consume it on their own time. They can consume it free of my judgment and my little sneaky sales mind tactics to get a close. They can decide what they think of that. And if I see them persistently showing up, they're persistently clicking the like button, they're engaging with my content, they fit my ICP, solve the problem that they might be having, and I send them a 30-second video being like, hey, let me know if you want to chat. Nobody gets angry at me about that. I don't have these people anymore being like, put me on the do not call list. I hate you. They're swearing at me. They don't do that. Maybe they'll say, hey, you know what? I don't think this is a fit. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, yeah. But that's all I need. That, that's all a, sale, a seller needs. You'd rather have a no than chasing somebody around because they're too afraid to respond to your email because they know you're never going to stop. Oh, yeah. The no is the second best answer you can get because it stops you wasting your time. I used to, I, I've coached sales teams and, uh, yeah, that was always – I'm like, get to the no as quick as possible. Do not waste your time. If they're not in, get them out of the pipeline. Like, it's not – it's a waste of both of your time to be trying to follow up with them. We're going to so take let's... a quick moment to pause this episode and thank our sponsors. First, we've got the first sponsor, which is True Classic, the clothing company. As you all know from all of my content, I've been wearing True Classic for the last 18 months and it truly is the staple of my wardrobe. 
What I find is that a lot of the clothes that I buy previously were all too baggy, they didn't fit right. The best part about True Classic, not only is it incredibly soft, but for those of you that have broader shoulders, that have larger arms, who just tend to be a little bit more athletic, the fit is absolutely amazing. It makes you look great. And a lot of people call these really the push-up bras for guys. I can tell you, when you wear these t-shirts, you look good. If you're interested in trying True Classic, there's gonna be a link in the description of this episode. This can be my personal link, or you can go to trueclassics.com slash the Chris Roach. Go ahead, check out the store. I guarantee you, you will not be sorry if you start wearing True Classics. If you do end up purchasing them, please let me know what you purchased. I'm curious to hear feedback. Moving on to our second sponsor, which is the Independent Marketer, which is an online course and community that I've created to be able to teach digital marketers how to go out and break out of the golden handcuffs and ultimately launch either their own freelancing career or build it into their own digital marketing agency. In the description, there's gonna be a link to that course. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, there's gonna be a special $100 discount on that course as well. If you do have any questions on that, please feel free to reach out to me directly or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Back to the episode. So let's talk about making this jump into entrepreneurship and starting this off from scratch. You talked about, it sounds like really a lot of the stars aligned for you in terms of the way the industry went to be able to create this opportunity for you. Obviously, it's a very... It's a very custom background you have for this. It's not a, 10 years ago, this wasn't a really high demand tree to be in, but the way that the industry moved into this and the ability to social sell, to create videos, to be able to have an audience and kind of the, the value that companies are placing on that. When you decided to make that jump, let's talk about that first 12 months. Like you, you'd left your, your position already to start doing this. Did you start on the side? Did you jump in cold? Tur- I'm going to preface this to your audience by saying I did everything wrong so don't do it the way I did yeah the smart way to start your own business is to start it as a side hustle and grow it and then once it's big enough that it's bigger than your salary then you can just turn that into your full-time job I didn't mm-hmm. do any of that I was very frustrated at my sales organization I had a really great campaign where I smashed my quota and it was awesome and then we had a really abysmal campaign where 90% of the company missed quota And they put us on pips and I got put on a pip and I was furious. So I went, I absolutely smashed the leaderboard that month. I was the top earner in the company. I beat the pip and then I quit with a one sentence email because I was, and again, I did the worst thing. I quit with no notice. So I couldn't rely on any of my old bosses to open any doors for me. I couldn't get unemployment, so I had none of that coming in. And then I decided I wanted to specialize in something I had absolutely no training in. I was not a videographer. I had no editing skills. But I just saw that it could work. I started by reaching out to people I knew, people I used to work with, and I just did the sales thing where I just, you know, I took meetings with them and I got curious about what role video plays in their company. And then I started consulting and training and helping people. But I would say the one thing that I did correctly that I would advise people to do was I got so much feedback because I asked everybody for it. And I always tell people if you're starting out, especially content creation, don't sit there and cry because your post only got six likes. Don't curse the algorithm for being so stupid. Those are six people who appreciated what you had to say. So I would get very curious about what it was that they liked. And I started doing that. I started just, hey, just DM'd everybody who interacted with my content. I said, hey, Chris, I really appreciate you interacting with my post. I'm trying to improve things and figure out what's important to my audience. Was there anything that stuck out in there? Was there anything in there that you liked particularly? And this was helpful for a number of reasons. 
I have this saying that I tell all my coaching clients. I tell them, you don't know what good content is. I don't know what good content is. The audience is going to reveal that. Yeah. Your job is you are going to go out there consistently talking about the things that you can help your audience with. And when one of them lands, we're going to get very curious about what that is. And this is how I help people build from the start. It's, okay, what do you want to say? What do you want to teach your audience? We start putting stuff out there, and then we get super curious about the data. And I look for what overperforms, which are the posts that got more, more comments, more inbound leads, whatever it is. And I say, okay, for you're talking about these topics, you just knock it out of the park, right? Or whenever you come from this yeah. point of view, this template, whatever it is, your audience likes this. So let's give them more. And yeah, it, for me, it was interesting because again, I had this whole comedy background and I was like, okay, time to grow up, right? I'm going to be a serious in sales trainer now. So I have to go out there and make LinkedIn content where I talk about cold calling and cold emailing and random sales stuff. And that did okay. I have a lot of knowledge mm -hmm. of that. But I started doing things where I would be like talking about cold calling and then I would cut to a different character, like me in a pair of glasses getting a cold call being like, eh? and then come back yeah. to me, create this awkward situation. And again, I was asking everybody for feedback. So family members, friends, filmmakers, content creators, corporate executives, just like all over the board, SDRs, just coming to them, just being like, hey, thanks for clicking the like button. What did you like about this? They mm -hmm. kept telling me, they're like, you know what? When you cut to that other character, that was really funny. I would like mm -hmm. to see more stuff like that. And it's this weird thing. And it was the same thing I discovered in academia where all the sellers were like, okay, this is a serious person. This person graduated from Yale. Mm -hmm. they're, they've got multiple PhDs and they're doing like climate change and they're like addressing the UN and stuff. So we got to go in there talking about pedagogy because that's what they care about. And I'm like, guys, they're not thinking about their times at Yale. <laughs> they're thinking about like their rental house is losing pro value so they have to sell it. Yeah. They're thinking about their performance review that didn't go as well as they wanted to. They're thinking about their book deal that got rejected. Like, they're thinking about these little things in their life that they're trying to... not thinking about their level of education or esteem or wealth. And it's the same thing with corporate executives. They're like, oh, we sell the serious people. We sell the corporate executives. And I'm like, what do you think they go watch at the movies? You think they yeah. go watch movies that are just like about spreadsheets. No, they go watch comedies and action movies and Westerns and they're just like everybody else. Yeah, that's my thing. If you show up, if you're a little bit more raw, if you really make them feel like they're in on a secret, they'll listen to you. And one of my tricks is I always learn, and this is part of my training, because Second City, I call it like high class, lowbrow humor. Okay. Where it's, it can be raunchy, it can be offensive, it can be subversive, but it's a little highbrow, it's a little high-minded. They teach you to go for those references. Go for, mm -hmm. treat your audience like they're intelligent. And Second City's, it's satire. So you're satirizing the news, you're satirizing celebrities, you're satirizing the city of Chicago and the world and society. And yeah, I tell people all the time, look, LinkedIn is the only platform where there are no children. You are not competing with teenagers here. You don't have to compete with twerking videos from TikTok. Your audience are adults, and they have more education and more money than the average social media audience member. Absolutely. So treat them like that. And I, I do, I famously, a lot of my live streams, I do recurring live streams that I turn to podcasts, but mm -hmm. I really lean into kind of the adult humor. I treat 
it like it's a late night talk show. And it's a great way, too, of disqualifying people because if they don't like the show, they're just not going to engage. But if I'm out there and I'm doing kind of subversive humor, it's a little bit more adult. It's just a little sharper and funnier and more subversive. People are enjoying that. I know that's my people. Yeah. So with that being said, you started the agency. How long did it take to get your first client? I got my first client before I had a bank account set up. I lost my first client because I didn't have a, they wanted to pay me and I didn't have a way to accept their, it was so frustrating. Because um, you need the EIN to create the bank account. Yeah. My, my first big client, my first five figure coaching client came in an inbound mm-hmm. because of a piece of content I created. That was another clue of mine that this content marketing stuff is really powerful where it was like, I was doing all right. I was getting some inquiries. I was doing my outbound and I found some early stage people who like, yeah, we did a, a few hundred bucks for a session or whatever. And then I wanted to make a name for myself. And again, I'm doing the video acting, which most people aren't doing. There are companies that offer tools for this. So again, BombBomb, Vidyard, SendSpark, tons of companies doing this. So I decided, I'm like, you know what? All these companies got to know who I am. Yeah, there's a new sheriff in town and uh, I got to show up with guns blazing. So I was talking to Tyler Lassard at the time at Vidyard and I was enjoying the stuff he was doing. And I asked him, I was like, hey, what's the world record for most Vidyard's created in sentinel music i don't know i'm like great whatever i get i'm just gonna declare myself winner of the world record yeah Um, but i went i was a partner of theirs at the time so i got a free license i got an endorsement for the video and yeah i did it where it was very funny it started out with a comedy sketch where it was like my boss was yelling at me and it was just like it was like a get into my office right now like a grizzled cop kind of scene where he challenged me i had to make 100 videos in a day or get fired and then it was just I showed the audience my process. I showed how I came up with the list, how I recorded it, how I captioned it, how I sent it out. And it was amazing because I sent that out. Like every video, I sit there and I think, oh, God, what if it fails? What if nobody likes it? What if I just wasted all my time on that? And about in an an hour or two, I started getting videos from the video companies because my plan worked. I infiltrated their internal channels. So all the video companies, they all sent around on Slack my video being like, who is this guy? And uh, I guess he's good at video prospecting. So with one video, I was instantly in. Every single one of these companies, at the very least, they knew I was out there and they knew what I could do. And yeah, I got an email from somebody being like, hey, let's talk coaching. And that was the first big check I got for it. But I had to take note that it wasn't the thing that did it for me. It was the content. And again, it's difficult for me sometimes because like to me, my sales and my content marketing strategy are fused together. If I stop doing one, the other suffers. And I've really got this nice little system where they feed into each other. And B2B exists in a world where sales and marketing generally do not talk to each other. They do not no, they don't. together. No, no they don't. It's very, si- very siloed. It's something we work with. our not any favors. No, it's something we work with our clients trying to... We actually, we've got some of our clients who are making a big push to have their SDRs report to marketing and we're trying to reinvent the wheel that way and actually have marketing have their own sales underneath them. And that's been an interesting conversation we've had a couple of clients that have had a lot of success with it in handling kind of the meetings afterwards and then only at that point do they get passed on but that aligns both both departments problem is when you have them right now they go against each other and that's not the way it should be it should be all trying to push it towards revenue rather than trying to take the attribution for it yeah it's a mess and i'm the left hand and the right hand should know what the other is doing and good marketing can make your life way easier as a seller but this is another thing too and this is the thing that has really been helpful to me this is advice i would give to anybody who wants to do their own thing start their own agency showing is better than telling and covering 
is better than showing. And that, that video in the internal channels is an example of that. I could go out and say, hey, look at me. I'm the greatest video prospector ever. It's when your boss sends you the video and is, who is this guy? Have any of our users gotten more videos out than this? Yeah. And I do a lot of these things too, where, and again, it's because I'm an improviser. And one thing I learned about content, it, audiences love a live moment where they don't know what's going to happen. I did a show, an improv show for a year, and we call it A Hair Away from Disaster. And I, that's really how I like to play. I like the audience. If there's this feeling like maybe it's all going to blow up, the audience wants to see that. So I will air these situations where I'm doing something live on LinkedIn or on social media in front of my audience. And that was how I was able to showcase my skills without having any sort of background. Somebody who just yeah, started yeah. an agency a, a month or two ago. People don't Google things. If you see me up there making 104 videos in a day, they're not going to be like, who is this Crispo guy? Does he is he qualified enough to talk about this? They're like, okay, I just saw it happen, and I want to learn more about video, so screw it. I, sure, I'll talk to him. You so know, how long and, how long has the agency been in business now then? I'm coming up right about the time. So about two years ago is when I quit my job. I got my LLC in August of 2021. So it's I've only been okay. around for about a year and a half as like an actual business. But people tell me all the time, they're like, it feels like you just showed up out of nowhere. Because I did. And yeah. uh, again, I, there's not many people who are doing comedy. So I'm going to make friends with these people. And they're doing some sort of marketing thing. I'm going to play with them. I'm going to put stuff out there for them to play off of. And I was able to use their credibility to increase my following. Mm -hmm. It's like people are looking at me and they're like, who's this Chris Bogue guy? I don't know, but all these companies that I follow seem to think he's pretty cool. I see him popping up everywhere. He's doing events with them and crossover events with them. And in improv, we call it yes and. Yes and is the fundamental rule of improv. The only thing about improv is you are not allowed to deny an initiation from your partner. You have to agree. Got ya. And then you have to add one more thing onto it to take the scene a step further. And that's how I do content marketing. I find the conversations that are already happening. I find the companies that already value the things I'm valuing. I'm finding the people who are putting fun, cool stuff out there. And I'm like, hey, good job. I like yeah. that. And here's another fun thing I'm going to add onto that. And they're going to play back with me because they mm -hmm. want the engagement just as much as I do. So it's like someone's commenting and tagging them and sharing them and engaging with them. That's valuable to them. Showed up giving them something that they want and prize now when i put something out they're more likely to click the like button they're more likely Absolutely. to engage with it yeah yeah and again i didn't really have anything i didn't have any income all i had was the money that i had been saving but yeah it's rubbing two sticks together it's let's okay i'll get with this guy she's funny i'll see if she wants to do a funny thing together and again i just kept looking at the audience i kept looking at my analytics and saying okay what's working what's not working and my content creator mentor used a phrase that I really like. He said, you develop sub-audiences, yeah. little mini-audiences over time. So my example is like, one of my mini-audiences is sales bros. Sales yeah, professionals, yeah. they like corporate bro. They like edgy, sometimes offensive humor. They like money. They want to talk about closing and techniques to get better at sales. I also have this whole bucket of people who hate sales and they don't like corporate bro and they don't like talking about cold calling. They would never do it. They hate it. Maybe they're content marketers. Maybe they're writers, whatever. I make material for them too. I make material about what's it like to be a creative person. Can you use that to your advantage in sales and content marketing? Shy people. 
I discovered were like a little mini segment of mine where I would do stuff about how to be more confident, how to assert yourself, how to get into a conversation. And they would tell me, hey, you know what? That actually really helped me. I'm a shy person. That actually helped me at work get in with some people. And then I discovered this totally random audience that I've really gotten into, which is accessibility professionals. I have this whole mini audience of deaf people because I caption all of my stuff and many people don't. And a lot of my themes are about what it feels like to not be heard, what it feels like to be ignored, what it feels like to be underestimated. And yeah, there's a very large percentage of the public all over the world has some sort of hearing loss. And most people don't make content for them. Even if they have auto captions in there, those are usually bad and difficult yeah. to read. And I made the commitment early on when I looked at that LinkedIn content and said, oh, this is bad. I could do better than this. I was looking at people and their title was video strategist, head of strategic content. I'm like, they're not even captioning their videos. So if I go out there and my videos have captions, it means I'm gonna reach an audience that they're not able to reach. So how large is your audience right now? I don't know. It's pretty small, actually. <laughs> I've only got about 8,000 followers on LinkedIn. But to me, that's plenty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I, yeah, I started LinkedIn, with less than 1,000. To me, LinkedIn is the, one of the hardest places to grow a following. And also, if you're getting 100 likes on a post, it's pretty decent. Whereas on Instagram, that's obviously I'm getting 100 likes on a post. Like, that's normal. On TikTok, it's normal. But if you're getting that on LinkedIn, the, the virality of LinkedIn to be able to share content and then when somebody engages it, it goes out to their network, that is a true benefit. I produce a ton of content on LinkedIn. That's why I do that is the fact that that drives an enormous amount of business for me. I'm curious. I want to, I do want to jump back into more of the business side of things with this as to when you start in the agency, a lot of people that are listening to this are looking to start an agency. They're looking to do it on the side. They're looking to jump full-time. Maybe they've just been laid off. They don't have the background that you and I have in that we were both in sales. I was a chief revenue officer before starting Catalyst. To me, it wasn't a risk jumping into starting an agency because I was closing seven figures worth of new business every year for a software development agency that I ran. So to go and close marketers and I, need, I knew I wanted to make about a hundred grand in the first year to be able to do that. That was my goal. It wasn't particularly an ambitious goal, I felt pretty comfortable being able to accomplish that. I'm curious what your thoughts are coming from sales to being able to start the agency and then knowing that you were in a sales position. I don't I don't know if you mind sharing kind of the, the salary that you were at then and then how you were able to replace that, kind of what that level looks like because a lot of people are looking at leaving their job to start an agency. I don't want to paint a picture of saying everyone that starts is going to make double what they make the next year. Like how was your journey actually getting into that and transitioning from salary to business owner? It got a lot easier once I productized myself. Now I make more than I did at my last job, but at first it was difficult. I was comfortable selling, knew I could do that. And again, it was like I was selling to elite people who did not want to be called, and they liked me. And they all had PhDs and I didn't, but they still thought I was worth listening to anyway. So the salesman in me said, oh, if I just contact enough people, of course I can make as much money as I was making at my last job. The problem I ran into early on was I was able to do too much. I was like, okay, I can coach you. I can coach you on sales. I can coach you on content marketing. I can help you come up with a video. I can edit the video for you. I can caption it for you. It was all these things, and it was just like too much to think about, and I would lose deals to people who had much simpler offerings than me. Once I start, yeah, once I started just turning them into different things, okay, here's a one-off 90-minute consultation. Here's what a three-month coaching plan looks like. I released a course. 
that was super mm -hmm. helpful. Now that I have these different product offerings, the live stream that I monetize, I you have sponsors for that and things like that. Now, instead of being like, I got to get $10,000 a month, it's okay. I got to sell eight courses. I got to close a new coaching client. I got to bring on a new sponsor. I get, and it's, it's much more manageable for me to break it down and be like, okay, I got to get one of these out this month. I got to sell at least X amount of courses. It became so much clearer for myself, like how to structure my day and my financial goals. And for my prospecting, that helps too, because I have certain people where it's like, they are a sales target. I want them to bring mm -hmm. me in for sales training. Okay, this is a person who might pay me for individual coaching. I just finished my first cohort of coaching where I was teaching a group of people. And that was just so helpful to me having different price points. And I'm going to continue to do that. That's in this next journey. This next year, what I'm looking to do is get out course number two, which is going to be my one course cost $250. It's going to be a $99 course. It's going to be cheaper. First course was a video prospecting course. Second course is going to be Chris Bogue's Guide to Mercifully Short Video Content. It is designed to be a companion so I can cross-market those. Anybody who buys the sales course, maybe they want the content marketing course, vice versa. And then, yeah, my the book is next. I've written draft one of my book. Draft two, got to get it done. Then I got to hand it off to an editor and, and actually get it out. But that's yeah, going to yeah. be cheaper. That's going to be an audio book and a, an e-book. And a, I'm going to do probably like a limited print of that. It'll be like a 10 or $20 product. Yeah. And again, for me, having a couple different options was helpful to break it down. It's helpful for my targeting. I'm not targeting the wrong people with the wrong things. And instead of having to hit this giant number every month, it's, yeah, I just need to pick up. Okay, I need one more podcast sponsor. I need to make sure I sell three more courses by the end of the month. You make your list, you go out, you have your conversations, you do your outreach, whatever. But yeah, that was the thing is like, I, I, I understood the entrepreneurship part of that. Like you are the sales rep. You have to be out there constantly selling yourself. I did not know about the whole, you have to productize yourself thing early on. Yeah. And that really would have helped. Yeah. And once somebody helped me with that, it was a, so much easier to go out there and actually achieve the numbers I was trying to go for. If you're just out there as a general consultant, it's really hard for people to, what you do, you have to find a way to make it clearer. Like what is the outcome they're going to get if they actually pay? That's yeah. That, that's one of the biggest mistakes. We see have a, a course that helps marketers start their own agency and same thing. And I consult with marketing agency owners that are looking to scale past 10 grand a month and kind of figure out how to do that. And same process the, they hit it's it, getting the first couple of clients easy. Scaling past that is a hard part. It's figuring out how to grow very aggressively. And for people that have these goals of they want to hit 30, 50,000 a month, it's not always repeatable what you did zero to 10 that you can then do to get to 50. And that's the hard part is understanding what those little nuances are to be able to grow very aggressively with that. And for someone that hasn't run an agent before, if they're starting their own business, if this is their first venture, there's just a lot you don't know. Even like the example of having a bank account set up to be able to take a payment. There's just these little nuances that it's it's a learning curve. So yeah, I will say this too. Here's something I do that I don't know if everybody does, but if you're gonna be a coach, if you're gonna be a consultant, if you're gonna be a trainer, this was so helpful for me. So I mentioned that everything I do is captioned. I include transcripts on all my videos. I caption all my stuff. My subtitles are timed, so they hit the same way the jokes sound when they're spoken. But I also record all my consulting sessions and all my training sessions. And after that, I, that's part of the agreement, is like after it's done, I pull the recording, I run a transcript of it, I send them the transcript and the recording with the filler words removed. 
And it's a useful part of what I do for them, but also what it allows me to do is I study those. You can pull those yeah. out. And for me, it was like, again, I have this really eclectic background where I could do 500 different things. So for me, it was really helpful looking at what are the things that comes up every single time? What are the questions I'm always getting? What are the biggest frustrations? What are the moments in the call where someone's, oh, that's so useful. I had no idea how to do that. And you look over and, okay, here's the common thread. This is the thing that everybody sees as useful. That's part of the package now. They're always going to get that, and I can always deliver that for them. And this is the pain I can dig into, and this is how I built the course. I People make fun of courses. I think they're great. I bought some expensive courses, but I was doing the consulting. I was doing the training People were buying these 90-minute sessions, these one-off sessions, and they told me, like, you know what? You should turn this into a course. If you turn this into a course, I think this would be something where it, the student would benefit from being able to have more time with this and spend more time immersed in it. And I had enough people who paid me tell me, go turn this into a course. This would make a good course. But again, this is where asking for feedback comes in. I didn't just put all my effort into making one and hoped that it would solve a problem. Yeah. I was able to look at months and months of coaching and consulting and training and say, what are the things that I absolutely have to cover? Because that's what my people get the most benefit from. That's the course. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the dark. I've done it. Yeah. I, I personally, I've done a lot of courses. Anytime I want to test anything, I buy a course in it and I figure out what I don't know. Because that's when we get our first rental property. First thing I did was bought a rental property course. I want to figure out the things because I personally, I, my, my belief with everything in business really is I'd rather pay to accelerate my learning than try and figure it out for myself. There's most things you can figure out for yourself. If you're interested in doing short form video and doing that, you can figure it out. But like you say, you got to create 100 videos to figure that out. Whereas for 250 bucks, I can learn, you can teach me how to be able to do that, how to prospect on LinkedIn. Like that to me is the why I personally buy a lot of courses. It's why I created a course. Again, same thing. I'm, I'm consulting with digital marketers right now who want to make that jump and I'm consulting and we're doing paid consultings and I'm coaching. I'm thinking this is the same thing over and over again. So I just built that into a product that now that's basically a almost a gateway into the coaching. I won't coach you unless you've done the course because nine times out of 10, people that want to be coached by me once they're on the course, they don't need to be coached by it. They're not big enough yet. It doesn't make sense. They don't need to get to that point where they have a weekly meeting. They don't have to be spending $5,000 a month to be coached. Like They can do that just by going through the course. And for 500 bucks, it's a product and you can do it from there and you can figure it out and start to learn from there. And that's always been my belief with it. That's why I got into building a course. There are people that talk about the negatives of courses and it's it takes away from the brand. And for me, like it's opened up more doors than it has, I think, tarnished the reputation. For me, it's just, it's always, been a goal of mine to build more of that education system around that and i have in the pipeline courses on b2b marketing on demand generation like all the things that i do day to day and trying to teach people other elements of that as well because there's an enormous audience of people that want to figure this out it just may not be people that are further along in their careers it's sometimes earlier people that are starting off for you it's more likely sdrs than it is chief revenue officers that are looking to go through that sales prospecting course like people are hungry and they want to be able to figure this out and for me if you can accelerate that it's a no-brainer yeah i also made it if you're an sdr with a training and development budget it's an yeah. easy buy that's not even your money and it's like just the and again this is where the content marketing comes in like i make my own infomercials they're really ridiculous but i can actually fit more information into an infomercial than I can a straight-to-camera talking head video because people are more likely to watch it. And yeah, it's one of those things where if I'm a performing piece of content, my Stripe account starts lighting up. 
Yeah. And you know what it's like. It's nice to have money coming in where you don't have to schedule meetings and trainings and prepare and meet with them. It's just, oh, that's cool. I just, just made a thousand bucks 20 it's, minutes after making a silly infomercial. Yeah, that's it's, efficient. It's, it is. It's once it's built. For me, I have a community component of my course, so it's a little bit more hands-on in terms of managing the community, and I like to be active in there and be a resource for people that have gone through that. That's part of the deal, basically, of doing the course. But yeah, same thing. You get the notification. You wake up in the morning and you see the Stripe notification. I'm immediately having a better day than if I didn't see that. Little things like yeah. that, like, then it adds up quickly. We're, I say we're doing a couple thousand a month on the course at the moment. Like, it's not a massive amount, but it's building up quickly. And for me, that's the goal is to. I'm not trying to stop being an agency to do this. It's more of a, I like the size of the agency we're at. I like the type of clients. So I'm quite comfortable trying to figure out other ways and basically invest into a little bit of those options and see if there's another way to bring in secondary revenue streams and try and duplicate those over time. That to me was why I started creating them. Yeah, and it's just again, making money while you sleep. How can you be? Yeah, exactly. Hey, Chris, I do want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on our time here with the podcast. Final question I would like to ask you is for those that are listening to this course, listen to this podcast that are really interested in learning more about you, learning more about your course, following you, seeing some of these examples, where can they find you? Best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Just look up Chris Bogue, ring my bell, follow me. New sketch comedy every week. New guests. We talk about sales, we talk about content marketing, talk about how to get on camera, how to be the best version of yourself on camera, how to give a good, confident, engaging performance. You can also find me on TikTok. I'm Chris Sells His Soul. I'm on Twitter at Chris Sells Soul. You can find me on YouTube. Or if you want to buy my course, you can go to chrisbogue.io. It's the course there. Check out some videos. Check out my testimonials. Yeah, I'm all over the place and I make content every day. Come join me. I'm friendly. I respond to DMs. I'm happy to hear from you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm going to include all those links in the description and appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. And that concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please head into the comments where you'll find all of the available links. If you have any questions on our sponsors, all the links will be in the description. Please stay tuned for the next episode. Mm -hmm.